All right, so we're starting a, a brand new series called I. And a lot of people ask, okay, is there some secret? Is I really just me, meaning me, or is it you? What is the deal with I? All right, so let me put up a picture. And uh, this is uh, an individual uh, who gave me the idea for this series. Does anyone have any clue as to who that is? Mr. Steve Jobs. Does anyone know Mr. Steve Jobs, his claim to fame, so to speak? He is the Apple guy. He is the one who is, uh, in, in many ways, back in 70s, 80s, and uh, beyond to today, he's still living, um, is uh, really revolutionized uh, the computer in many ways. Uh, but over the last decade, uh, he single-handedly uh, revolutionized uh, how we listen to music, uh, how we uh, hear music, how we buy music and purchase music. Uh, and he capitalized into something that at least no one else at the time was doing. And he recognized one thing, and I'm sure others had recognized this, but he had the creativity to uh, really exploit it, I'll say. Um, he recognized that we live in a very I-centric world. And so he developed a system of music, of purchasing, buying, listening, and such, that would cater to one thing and one thing alone. He would cater to the I. Therefore, we have iTunes, which has really frustrated a lot of uh, record label companies and has actually put a lot of people out of business uh, in terms of record CD sales, that kind of thing. Uh, and he revolutionized how we actually hear music on things like iPods, uh, iTouches, uh, nanos and, and things like that. Meaning, if you were, grew up in the 80s, 90s, you, and you wanted to buy a CD, this is unbelievable, but you had to buy the whole CD. Like, even if there was just one song you had to, like, that you liked, you had to purchase all the other 12 just junk songs, and you'd pay 12, 13, 14, 15 bucks for this. Steve Jobs said, no, I want to cater to the I and let's let the eye buy whatever I wants, and the more I wants and gets, the more, ultimately, the big I, so to speak, gets. So he literally just played into um, a culture that was just very, very I-centric. So iTunes, iPod, iTouch, iMac, iPhone, iLife, iWork. He began creating these, these systems and computers and software all developed around one theme, i meaning you. You are at the center of your universe, center of your world. Give I what I wants most, and he'll be a happy and rich man. Saw Jeep. Uh, I don't know if anyone saw a Jeep commercial recently, but this is their new promo. I live, I ride, I am. You'll see in media now, they've bought into this. It's so I-centric, catering to the I. Now, one thing that um, I think Steve failed uh, to realize, and many will also fail to realize, is that we were not created to be I-centric people. We were created uh, to be, in first and foremost, in a relationship with the one who created us. Steve Jobs and others sees us as just consumers. Not really people, but just consumers. And he tapped into that. He played into that. You were not created just to be a consumer. You were created to be in a relationship with God. But so many of us live our lives where I, not me, but 
you are I and I am I. I am at the center of my little world. Give me what I want, how I want it, when I want it, for how long I want it. And then when my desires change, recreate something to entertain me again and, and next. My hope as we start this Christmas series is that uh, there would be a, a radical reshaping, a radical transformation of you and I, where we say, you know what? I'm done with living with me, I, at the center of my world. Because if you honestly live with you at the center of your world, it's just a small world, and you can't really see much beyond yourself. And ultimately, you don't really care much about anything else but yourself. And I honestly hope that there will be a radical reshaping of this community, that this community together, this church, it would not be about the I, it would be about we. And it would be about we collectively living for he, meaning God. And I wonder what it would look like for an entire community to say, it's not going to be about I, but it's going to be about we. We are going to encourage one another. We are going to love one another. We are going to serve one another. And I'm not just talking about the people who are sitting here in this room, but we as a community loving and serving and engaging, coming alongside, praying for, blessing others. In many ways, um, a friend asked a question uh, a month or so ago, and it was a good question. Uh, he said, Michael, how do you think we're doing as a church? How do you feel like we're, we're doing in terms of unity? Do you feel like we're on mission together? Do you feel like we're connected? We have a, a shared heart, a shared vision, shared passion. And I said, well, you know, we're doing okay. But I said, there's still a lot of I within us. There's still a lot of I within the we. And my desire would be that the I would die and the we would begin living for he. I'm not trying to play rhyming games up here. I'm just trying to say what would it look like for all of the I to say, I'm done. Let's we together challenge, push one another to live for the very purpose in which we were created for. And so this morning, we're going to look at a story that maybe some of you are very familiar with, have heard, have read. It's a story of the shepherds. And uh, I love these guys. These guys were just in the middle of the field doing their thing in the middle of the night, had no clue, but in one moment and one time, uh, an army of angels appear to these guys, and they begin to see something different. And what brought transformation from an eye-centered, eye-centric lifestyle was when their vision began to change. And so my premise, my hope is today, as we start, and I'm doing the story very backwards, but my hope uh, is that you will see something greater than just I at the center. And today that you would see uh, someone, meaning Jesus, who is greater than the I, and we would begin living for him. Let me uh, pray, and then if you have a Bible, we're going to jump in and walk through the story of Luke uh, chapter 2, uh, starting at verse 8. God, please help us as we're beginning this journey. And I don't know where, obviously, every single person uh, in this room is, uh, but God, I know our natural tendency, and I can say this for all of us, our natural tendency is to live for I. God, I pray that uh, today and in the weeks to come, there would be a radical transformation 
from I-centric living to living for you, the very one that created us, not to be consumers, but created us to be in relationship with you. So God, would you do something great, not only today, but in the weeks to come where there would be a radical reshaping of this community, that we would be done with I-centric and the we, all of us, collectively would come together as a community to love one another, to spur one, one another on towards you. So God, I, I do pray that in the literally a, a month from now when the series would come to a close, this community would look just radically different because there would be a genuine just repentance of done with I and we have made a decision to live together in community for you and with you. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Luke uh, chapter 2, verse 7, just says this. It's amazing that um, God visits humanity, and it gets one verse. It's amazing that God comes to humanity in the person of Jesus as a baby, and one verse records all of it. Chapter 2, verse 7, just says this, And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in at the inn. God breaks forth into time, human history, one verse. Very similar to Mark's gospel at the very end of Jesus' life, they crucified him. Just one verse. And what a testimony, what a statement that it says already in verse 7. No room for God. Verse 7. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them, meaning Mary and Joseph, the family, at the inn. I want to read to you uh, the story. Uh, We're going to come back to Mary and actually the birth of Jesus in the weeks to come. Uh, But I wanted today to focus on uh, seeing, what eye sees. And just listen to this story as we go through. And And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. I don't know if you believe in angels, but this story will really challenge you to think about what do you honestly believe about the supernatural? Do you believe in angels? Because the Bible teaches clearly that there is such things as angels. And this text alone will meet an army of them. Verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Okay, middle of the night, doing their thing, and all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord appears to them. Verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. The most Christological, meaning the most The one verse that gives the most information about Jesus in all of the New Testament is right there. Circle it, highlight it. Verse 10, 
or verse 10 and 11, two verses. Good news of great joy for all the people. Verse 11 is the verse. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Three statements about who Jesus is all packed into one verse. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying. Okay, so there was just one. And it was almost heaven could not contain itself, so it just rips open the skies and reveals the spiritual world, the spiritual realm. And in the spiritual realm, there was a host, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels singing this song. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. That's another song translated is God is really great. And how blessed is humanity that his grace, favor and grace, same word, rest upon you. When the angels had left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. I'm going to talk about Mary next week, but we're looking at, at best a 15-year-old girl here. This 15-year-old child treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. How many 15-year-olds do you know that that's the response that would be? Next week. Verse 20. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Okay. Has something ever so amazing happened to you that it was so phenomenal, it was so amazing that you just couldn't help but talk about it. Maybe it was something that personally happened to you. Maybe you just witnessed that was about something else, but you got to see it. Like has something ever so amazing just rocked you to the core where you could just not stop talking about it? It was such a phenomenal event. Okay, my phenomenal events that I remember pretty clearly uh, was this day when my wife, fiance at the time, said yes. So that's me and Kyla back in the day. I had hair back then in a nice blue sweater vest, I might add, <laughs> from the gap. And. Um, This is literally just an hour or so after I asked Kyla uh, uh, to literally walk the water with me and spend our lives uh, together. And I remember literally for weeks upon weeks after that, I just had a goofy smile on my face because I was so excited. And I just remember telling everyone. I didn't care if I knew them. I'm like, hey, I'm engaged. Like, so? Like, I just thought you would want to know. I mean, I was just... I was excited, you know, I was getting married. I was 24, uh, turning 25, and uh, it was the greatest thing. I mean, I was so excited about this woman that actually said yes to me, and I just thought everyone in the world should know, and I thought they would want to know. 
And most people were friendly, and some people were rude, and they will be judged uh, because of that. <laughs> but um, has that ever happened to you, where you just were so filled with excitement, you just could not help but talk about it? Like when I see these shepherds, one of the things that just transformed them from the beginning of the story to the end of the story is that they were different because of something they had literally seen. They went to see this infant. They went to see this child, this baby. And when they came back, they were singing a different song and they were telling a different story. They were different because of something they had seen. It was a genuine transformation of their song and story were different. And they were convinced that everyone needed to know and everyone needed to hear them. I'll ask this question again later, but who told them to tell anyone? The invitation was just to go. Here's the sign. You'll see a little baby in a manger, in a feeding trough for animals. And they see this God child, and there was no further directive of what to do, but the only thing they knew to do, they just had to tell someone. Has that ever happened to you? Because the eye does not like to talk about anything that does not involve the eye. And so many of our stories, many of our songs are ultimately just about I, about us. But when they encountered this God child, this baby, Jesus, a new song and a new story. They meet some angels. Okay, I've never personally met an angel. Like, I've never seen an angel. Maybe some of you have had this experience. But when these angels, they, they see these angels, they are just wrought with fear. So let me ask a question. Do you actually believe in angels? I've already asked that, but I just, yes. If you believe in the Bible, the Bible talks about, preaches, and even gives a description of what angels do. I'll give you three things. Angels, they worship God. When they break forth into space, our time, our space, they're singing a song of praise. And Revelation and Isaiah and other parts of Scripture paint a picture that angels worship God. They don't worship one another. That's a fallen angel. When Satan or Lucifer wanted others to worship him, they fell. So they worship God. They are obedient to God. This is the third time in Luke's narrative here, chapter 1, beginning chapter 2, where an angel has appeared with a specific message. First to Zechariah, second to Mary, and now to these shepherds in the field. Okay, And the third thing is they worship God, they're obedient to God, and this is not an exhaustive list, but angels are warriors. These spirit beings, they know how to fight. Now, I know when we think of angels, we might see a picture like this, and we think that the angel is, uh, you know, very cute, very cuddly, um, you know, very sweet. And, um, but when they saw the angel, they were in fear, okay? This is not like they were scared and be like, oh, it's just you, Okay? This is what I think we think angels look like. And again, this is not like a Bible picture, okay? There's not, no author in scripture who drew a picture, 
But as I was looking at pictures of angels, I'm going to guess that they're a little bit closer to this minus the chest with the eight-pack of abs. (laughs) They're spirits, okay? They're not male. They're not female. So we can probably lose. If I had Photoshop, I'd take the, the, the abs out. But I envision an angel that actually appeared to this shepherd and shepherds came carrying a sword in hand, was big, was ominous, was frightening. So much so where their thought was, what are you going to do to me? There's a difference of being scared. Kyla sometimes scares me. Sometimes I'm in my own little zone and world. I don't hear her coming. She taps me on the shoulder. I freak out. I get scared. Like scream sometimes like a little girl. I'll admit it. Okay? But when I see that it's Kyla... I'm, I'm not like worried in fear, like, what are you going to do to me? Like, I'm not freaking out like she's got a sword in hand, like, oh my gosh, she's Kyla? Do we need to talk? Okay? That's being scared. These guys were in absolute fear. And I know the fear was driven by, what are you going to do with us? And I love the angel's response was the same to Zachariah, the same to Mary, And the same to uh, these shepherds. It just says this, verse 10. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. And I love how he goes on. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. It's okay. Be at peace. Do not be at fear. I have not come for you. I have not come to take you. I have not come to kill you. I've actually come to deliver a message of good news. And this news will bring great joy, not just to the I, but to the we. As I was thinking about verse 10, I often wonder what people believe the message from heaven is. Meaning, do you believe that the message from heaven to us is actually good news? Like, do you believe that the message that God has for you is actually good news, is something that brings you great joy? And not just you, but brings all of humanity great joy. Most of us believe, and I believe it's a lie, that the news coming from heaven at best is not necessarily bad news. It's irrelevant. It's inconvenient. I don't, I don't really care what heaven has to say to me. When I'm talking about heaven, I'm talking about God. I don't really care what the message from God to me is. Why? Because the I is so content in who or she is. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. Listen to what the angels actually say about this message from God to these shepherds is. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news, great joy. The message is good news, it's going to bring great joy, and it's for all people. Verse 11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. I love the emphasis. This has happened today. This is not going to happen in the years. Today, there's a sense of immediacy, a sense of urgency. This is going on 
right now. You don't want to miss it. This is happening right now, about five miles from where you are currently standing. The Savior of the world, the Messiah, the Lord, has come into the world. Verse 11, I've already alluded to this, but we learn so much about Jesus in one verse. And the first one is, he's a Savior, meaning he is a deliverer. He will deliver us. He will rescue us. He will redeem us. Now, three thoughts on just the word Savior alone. We live in a culture that's very Savior-hungry. Do you remember uh, whenever it was uh, uh, Barack Obama? He's been in office now for about a year. But leading up to that, man, what a Savior complex we gave him. He was our Savior. I mean, so many people actually even referred to him as the Savior. He is the one who's going to save us from this mess whether it be the economy or whatever else issues it was. And then within like, it, you know, his first week, he didn't fix everything. Man, there was savior bashing. Like we live in a culture that is just hungry for a savior. And we use that word flippantly. Doctors fix us and surgery, heal us, medicine. Man, you, you are my savior today. Thank you so much. Now he's not a savior. He's just a doctor. I mean, how often we just use the word savior so flippantly, okay? So another thought on Savior is there's only one Savior, and it's right here in Luke chapter 2, verse 11. Savior Christ the Lord. Now, the fact that there is a Savior points to one glaring reality. The fact that there is a Savior means that I need to be saved, Why would a Savior come if there was no need of saving? So anytime you see Jesus referred to as Savior, let it be a constant reminder to you, to all of us, that we need saving. There would be no need for God to break into human history if there was not a need for us to be saved. And the third point on Savior is the fact that the Savior came points to how I will be saved. Can I just say I am at such peace that I don't have to try to earn my way of salvation. I don't have to try to figure out how I can be restored, reconciled, redeemed, made right with God. The fact that there is a Savior and the fact that the Savior comes, meaning Jesus, points me to the glaring truth. The Savior is right here in the person of Jesus, not in you, Michael Davis. You cannot save yourself. You look to the Savior to be saved. Okay, second question is, what kind of Savior will this be? We know he's a Savior, but it says he is the Christ. Christ just means Messiah or anointed one, God's promised one. Throughout the Old Testament, God had promised that he would send a Savior, one who was anointed by God for God's purposes. Go back to Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He, personal pronoun, proto-euangelion. Uh, uh, okay, that's the technical word for what it means, first gospel. The first time the gospel is preached, is proclaimed, 
is by God himself when he says, I will send a he and he will crush you, meaning God's enemy. Okay? From Genesis 3.15, Scripture points the rest of the book that God has promised that he will send a Savior, an anointed one, a Messiah. Isaiah 7.14, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel just simply means with us is God. God has stepped forth into human Space, time, history, God is with us, not against us, for us, with us, okay? He was sent by God to accomplish God's divine purpose. Do you ever wonder why then? Why not now? Like why at the, why back 2,000 years ago? Why not 3,000 years ago? Why not 1,500 years ago? Galatians 4 says this, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of son, sons. God sent his son, the anointed one, the Messiah, that you and I would be called, considered children of God, sons and daughters of God. This is all just in one verse. Chapter 2, verse 11, he is a savior. He is the Christ, anointed Messiah. And then the third thing that we learn is that he is the Lord. And the Lord just means he is the sovereign authority in your life, in my life. Meaning someone who is the sovereign authority means they're God. Pointing back to the Isaiah seven fourteen, this is God in flesh. John, the apostle John, speaks of this and says in John 1, verse 1, and I'll jump to verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is Savior, Jesus is Christ, Jesus is Lord. One verse. I hope this in many ways will reshape how you actually see and view Jesus as your Savior, as the anointed one, promised one of God, and as the sovereign authority in your life. This is all language that drives I nuts. I don't need to be saved I don't need God intervening in my life, and I certainly don't need someone else who's got authority, rule, control over me. This will drive I nuts. But something happens when I sees he. There's transformation. Go back, if you can, to the story. If this is you, what are you thinking right about now? If... A whole, an angel, probably carrying a sword, is speaking this message to you that a Savior's been born. He is the Christ, Messiah. He is the Lord. What are you actually thinking right now? Like, are you thinking, wow, I need to get some more sleep. I need some more caffeine. Are you thinking, 
I, I can't even wrap my mind around this right now. I'll, I'll come back to this a different day. Are you starting to maybe wrestle with, do you think, is this true? And if this is true, what, what the heck does this mean? What am I supposed to do? How do I respond to this news? I can't imagine what these guys were thinking, but I, I think at some point, one of them had to stop and ask the question, and this is a brilliant question. Why are you telling us? Like, the shepherds had to be looking around like, okay, there's, we're shepherds. We're nobodies. Why are you telling us this great news of great joy for all people? Like, maybe the angel had too much caffeine to drink and missed his mark and was supposed to tell someone else, but there had to be a moment where these shepherds started to think, why are you telling me? Isn't it great that the first people to hear the announcement of Savior Christ the Lord is a group of shepherds? Isn't it ironic that Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, is first announced to shepherds? Coincidence? I don't know. I don't think so. What a picture that Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, the one who would give his life so that we would have life, is first announced to a group of men who were known as shepherds. I also think they probably came to shepherds because they would be curious enough to go and see. Can you imagine if they, the angels appeared to the rich, the well-to-do, the politically influential? I'm thinking their response would be, I don't have time for this. I don't certainly need this. Why do I care if the Savior's I don't need saving. Why are you telling us? At some point in your journey, I hope there comes a point of realization where you ask the simple question of God, why have you revealed yourself to me? And your answer should be one of absolute, utter humility of, I don't deserve to know anything about God but God has chosen to reveal himself to me. And that should just bring, you, bring uh, you to a place of awe and wonder. Who am I that God should speak these things, reveal these incredible truths to me? He could have just let me go my own way. He could have let me die in the world of I. Have you ever asked that question? God, why did you reveal any of this to me? Why am I even sitting here right now hearing a message like this? And I hope when you wrestle with that question, you come to the realization, God has good in mind for me. God has love in store for me. God has good news in mind for me. God is bent on bringing me back to right relationship with him, and he made that very possible through his son. I don't know if um, the angels were thinking, I don't know, we need to give these guys a sign. The shepherds didn't ask for a sign, like, prove it. I just have a sense they were just sitting there like, well, what do we do with this? And then the angels speak and says this, this will be a sign to you. We'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Savior Christ Lord. 
if you heard that, and then the angel says, this is your sign. Walk about five miles due north, and uh, you'll find an infant wrapped in some not even real nice cloth, and he's going to be in a feeding manger, like where you put animal feed. That's going to be his bed. That's the sign? Would you be thinking at all, like, is this a joke? That's the sign you're giving us is a baby wrapped in cloths in a feeding manger? If you're not thinking, is this a joke, you might start thinking, what kind of savior is this? A savior that's not only a baby being cared for by a 15-year-old mother who claimed to be a virgin, but this is a savior. What kind of savior is this? There's so much that points or we could talk about here. I'm just going to give you two. What kind of savior this is just by a simple cloth baby in a feeding trough, absolutely humble, points to the life that this baby would grow up to live and points ultimately to his death. That Jesus, Savior Christ, Lord, would be utterly humble. And also what I love about this is he's approachable. Imagine if it was some other circumstance. Go to the palace in the city, biggest house in Jerusalem, and uh, knock on this door. Uh, You'll have to get through the guards, and then you'll have to explain. I mean, absolutely approachable the way that Jesus came into human history. So I guess a question for you, if you were there, would you go? Would you be curious? Would you go? If you heard this message, angel speaking, Savior's born today, Christ, he's Lord, he's a baby wrapped in cloth in a manger, would you go? I'm not sure I would. You might just out of curiosity, but would you honestly go? Now, curiosity might get the best of you, but what's amazing, what happens next is in the next two verses, if they needed more convincing that this is something amazing, something phenomenal has happened, heavens ripped open, angels appear in mass, thousands of them, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men whom his favor rests. God is great, humanity is blessed. This is their song. God is great, there is no one greater than God. And humanity, you are so blessed because his favor rests upon you. He has come for you. And by the way, this is coming from angels who God did not come for. When angels fell, he let them fall. There was no plan of redemption for them. And so these angels sing a song that says, Blessed are you whom God's favor rests. Would you go? Now after seeing this, they went, and this is what happens. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, I can't even picture what this would look like. The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. I wonder what it was like for them to see God in flesh, the Savior as a baby. 
their vision radically changed because they saw a Savior wrapped in cloth as a baby, just as it was told. Like these guys were different. I don't need to wonder what the response was because Luke gives us the response in verse 17. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. Go back to a question I asked 30 minutes ago. Who told them to tell anyone? They were so overwhelmed with what their eyes had seen that their first natural response was, we have to tell others. Now, for many, um, myself included, my natural response to talking about God is not just to go and scream it in every person I encounter. Have you ever stopped to ask, why is it so hard for me to talk about the most amazing thing that's ever happened to me? Fear is one. And I just asked the question, if we're fearful, what are you actually afraid of? And if you're afraid of something, meaning what people might think, what people might say, think you're nuts, think you're weird, a religious fanatic, that just points to too much I still in you. Because I is overly concerned with what others will think of I. This is going to be a hard one, but if it's not fear... I just wonder if we don't care. This group of shepherds seem to care. And if you were familiar with how shepherds were viewed in that culture, they were not well-liked. They were kind of the throwaways, the nobodies. They were considered the sinners that Jesus came to save. The people that were disliked turned back to a community and a culture and said, you have to see, you have to hear what our eyes have seen, what we have heard, what we have witnessed. How do you think people responded to their story? Verse 18, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. You ever thought, I don't think people would actually be amazed if I started telling them about God, started talking about Jesus and who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. I just don't think people would give a rip. So therefore, I don't really talk about it. I'm pretty convinced that these guys didn't go around and just were like, you know, it's pretty cool. We saw some angels, saw a baby. I have a feeling that there was a great level of passion, conviction, and enthusiasm in their voice. Similar to when I would go and tell people that I just got engaged, my enthusiasm for this was actually infectious, contagious. People who didn't even know Kyler were like, wow, that's... They were excited. Why? Because I was excited. And I just wonder, all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. If their amazement was not only coupled with what had actually happened, but with who was telling it to them wow, look at these guys, they're so, they believe this. They've seen something that has literally changed them, transformed them. Verse 19, two more verses, end of the story. This is Mary's response, 15-year-old girl. 
Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. We're going to get into Mary next week, but she had a tough road. And as I wondered, why did she treasure up all of these things in her heart? Can you imagine Mary and Joseph's response to the shepherds? Uh, What are you guys doing here? Uh, How did you know we were here? Can you imagine how encouraging it was? You're not going to believe it, Mary, but an angel first appeared to us, told us that this happened. And then on top of that, thousands of angels broke forth in song. And they told us this would be a sign to come. Can you imagine how, do you think Mary's like, no, that's crazy. This is a virgin who's pregnant, so I think your capacity for understanding the unexplainable had grown. Can you imagine how encouraging it was for her? Wow, God revealed to someone else this amazing thing. Can I just tell you what God is doing in your life? Share that story because you have no idea what God will, how he'll use his, uh, the story of him at work in your life to bless, encourage, challenge someone else. Can you imagine if the shepherds just be like, oh, well, we're lost and we took a wrong turn and we saw a baby and we were curious. She was so, she pondered these things in her heart of what God was doing, not just with her, but with apparently shepherds in a field five miles away. End of the story, Luke chapter 2, verse 20. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. That's the end of the story. They went one way and they came back different. Why? Because of something they had seen. Just a baby. But there's a difference. This was a baby who was told, proclaimed, declared to be the Savior, the Messiah, and Lord, God in flesh. If you have that little mirror, pick up your little mirror now. Kind of look at your mirror. I don't think I have one. Some of you have a little circle. Some of you have a square. Kind of see, look at yourself in the mirror. Okay? If you have a square, mine's a circle. Squares are a little bit bigger. But, by the way, this is a gift to you from us. (laughs) Enjoy. But I wanted to put uh, something as simple as a little mirror uh, in your hands as a reminder of, uh, I can barely make out my, my nose. I, I can't even get two eyes in, in my mirror. This is how big I is. And what I mean by that is just simply, um, I, this is just so small. When I live at the center 
of my world, this is about how big my world is. My vision is so small, I can barely even see. And I was just even thinking about something as silly as this small little mirror. I just wonder what it would look like to live life without mirrors. I'm not talking physical mirrors. But what it would look like that my eyes were not on me. Because when my eyes are on me, that's about as much of me as I can honestly see. What it would look like to refocus your eyes to heat. These shepherds were different. They were changed. They were transformed. Because they did not just see the eye themselves. They saw he. They saw a savior. They saw the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. And they saw God in flesh, the Lord. There's a great verse in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. And uh, it says this. Um, I don't know if we'll have it, but uh, Hebrews chapter, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And then verse 2, and I hope in many ways um, this verse will, will resonate with you, because I know many of you maybe have read this a lot, but if you want to be done with eye-centric living, It starts with getting your eyes off of the small little eye and fixing your gaze on something else. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, author, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I love the story of the shepherds because they were one way at the beginning of the story and they were different, and they were different because they saw Jesus. And if there's going to be change, difference, transformation in my life, I need to stop looking at the I and start looking at the He. And I hope that um, uh, today, if you're a Christian and you have made a decision to follow Jesus, that your picture of Jesus would be bigger than you could actually contain. And your understanding of yourself would just, would be so small. No longer living for I, but he. And my heart would be, if you are not a Christian, if you have not made a decision, you need a savior. The savior has come. And he has come specifically for you, for me. I can't save myself It's a wasted life to try, and it's also a wasted life to think that I don't need a Savior or that I could somehow reconcile myself back to my Creator. It is a wasted life to do that. You were created by God for God to know God. Anything less than that is a very eye-centric, eye-small life. God's desire is that He came In flesh, Jesus as a baby grew to be a man, very humble, very approachable, without sin, went to a cross and paid the penalty for the sins of the world, that those who would come to him would be saved, would be reconciled back in right relationship with God. I'm going to invite you guys as we will continue in worship.
If you have made a declaration that Jesus Christ is your God, then come and celebrate communion today by taking bread and dipping it in the wine or juice and giving thanks that Jesus saved you. And if you're not a Christian, if you've never made a declaration that you need a Savior, make that today. Like, do not let another day go by where you do do not know who your Savior is. Father God, I just give thanks that um, you have saved us completely. God, I give thanks that you have saved us from living a very eye-centric, eye-focused life that we might live for the very one who created us. God, if there are people in here today, and I imagine there's many, myself being one, where I is so central to how we live, to the decisions we make, to the stories we tell, to the conversations that we have. God, if there is so, if there is I that is still in us as Christians, God, I pray that today we would repent of I-centered, I-centric, I-focused living. God, that we would turn away from I and turn to you. God, would you give us a picture, give us a vision God, please, if there's anyone here today that is uh, really struggling with uh, eye-centered, let today be a marked day of difference. No longer living for I, but living for you. God, if there's someone here today that just has not a clue as to who you are, but they've heard a message like this, that there is a Savior, He is Messiah, anointed one, He is Lord, and his name is Jesus. God, I pray that there would be a confession of faith today of ultimately turning from I and turning towards you. Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for saving. Thank you for redeeming. Thank you for restoring. Thank you for reconciling us back to you. And we celebrate, Jesus, not only your birth, not only your life, but we celebrate what you did for us on a cross. As a community, we give you thanks that you did that for us. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. As you guys feel led, come and celebrate uh, and give thanks uh, for what Jesus has done for each of us.